Alternative Radio. What's going on, everybody? We are back. Episode 130 of the Dark Windows Podcast. I am Kevin. Hey, what's up, folks? I'm Kevin, too. Wow. That... He, he didn't he didn't get me a pause to come in and go, hey, what's up? That's what I did after I said, I'm Kevin. Yeah, but usually I say, what's up? But I was like... Well, you weren't paying the attention. Sun, the sun, I was paying attention. You sure weren't. Was, too. Anyway. So, um... Yeah, so as of today, we have a new president in the United States. Well, who cares? But speaking of criminals, let's talk about one. His name is Joseph Barboza. Barboza. I know people are like, whoa, fucking Republican. No, no, they're all fucking criminals, and they're all scum. Barboza. Was he? A, was this guy a, a pirate? I, you know, a lot name, of people... name like that? Barbosa was a pirate. Barboza. His name is B-A-R-B-O-Z-A. I don't care. He was Still not a, sounds like a pirate. He was not a pirate, but he did come from, I'm assuming, a long line of sea folks, considering he's Portuguese. Hello, my and name like, is Barboza. And what else do the Portuguese have other than the ocean? They're not going to go through Spain. they got to get on the fucking ocean. No. Because, I mean... That's true. What the fuck are you going to do in Spain? I don't know. Go there in the 50s and fight Marxists? Like, that's about it. Other than that, what else are you going to hey. do in Spain? Wine tours, maybe? I don't know. Or is that Italy? What's Italy? I'm sure the Spaniards make wine. I think they do, too. They have to. They're yeah. European. They make liquor of some sort. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway. I, don't, I don't know what the Portuguese <laughs> do. I, I, they fish. I know that much. <laughs> well... They're probably the best fishermen. Uh, there's like apparently there is a huge Portuguese population in Massachusetts, and a lot of them work on fishing boats. And there's a huge Portuguese um, group of people in Rhode Island as well. So it's like same fucking Rhode difference. Island. Rhode Island is nothing but Lower Massachusetts. It's not even a state. Some might differ with you on that, Mister. What the fucking six people that live there? I don't know, but you just wait. I guarantee they'll come out of the woodwork and they'll be like, listen, asshole. If one person from uh, from Rhode Island wants to come up here and explain to me why they're technically a state, I'll listen to it, but... Uh, eh. Hey, Roger Williams. That's all I want to say. Who? Yeah, exactly. Roger Williams? Who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> he was the founder of the state. Okay, that's and how he, much I know or care about Rhode Island. It's You can fucking <sighs> blink and be through it. So anyway, I'm basically just going to restart. Anyway, let's let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk about your um your por- Portuguese uh, pirate, Ocean Spaniard. Okay, <laughs> it sounds like a juice company. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Ocean Spaniard. But it'd probably be something fucking terrible, like grapefruit pistachio or something. Whoa! Yeah, <laughs> pistachios by themselves are good. Grapefruit is the devil. Joseph Barboza was born September 20th, 1932, uh, in Bedford, Mass. Oh, Bedford, yeah. huh? Oh, Jesus. He is the product of, you guessed it, Portuguese immigrants. <laughs> um, his parents both emigrated from the Azores portion of Portugal, which is like, oh, I guess like the... that's like the Ritzy section. Yeah, whatever. That's like you're fucking out on the islands and you, you, you like look over, fuck you, because the mainland, because you're like, well, you know, we have it better. Well, Papa Joe... 
dad, Joseph Barboza Sr., um, was a middle, a semi somewhat professional middleweight boxer that had two professional fights, mm. uh, both in 1933. Um, also a professional alcoholic, apparently. Well, so I mean, I mean, I mean come on now. Uh, his mom, who's got an awesome name, Palomita Car, uh, <laughs> Palomino, Palomita Camille was her name, Ooh. and she was a seamstress. So when Joe Jr. was 12. His old man kind of bounces, abandons the family completely after a long running affair with another woman. And uh, uh, mom didn't really like this so much. With Rose Red or whatever the, whatever that liquor and was called. And I can tell. <laughs> there was a liquor back in the day called like, like uh, uh, Irish oh, Rose, Irish Rose or something, whatever it was. I can tell you right now. <laughs> If this woman grew up in Massachusetts, for the most part, and she's Portuguese, she's got a real bad temper. I work with one. Not the person to piss off. Like, anyway. So, <laughs> after after dad bounces, she sends Joe Jr. to go talk to his father. And uh, Joe Sr. basically is like, hey, kid, go fuck yourself. So, this made Joe Jr. upset, and he started to cry. So, his father took him down the street. And bought him a pigeon. Aww. Kind of a weird fucking detail, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, listen, Junior. One of, one of those gonna... things where I'm sure, like, he was, when he was in prison, he's like, remember that time my dad bought me a pigeon? It was fucking great. <laughs> that was the best time of my life. Best day of my life. Except for all those people I killed. Um, Second best. So, after Senior took off, Palomita started having to kind of do some not-so-savory things to... Support the family, um, considering she had four kids and was getting no help from the sperm donor. Mm -hmm. She starts kind of partaking in robbery, a little bit of breaking and enter here and there, pawning stuff off, you know. Um, kind of surprised there was no prostitution, but there wasn't. So mm -hmm. good on her, I guess. At 13, Joe Jr., uh, was arrested for the first time for breaking and entering with a few other kids that he'd kind of started a little gang with. Um, and he was sent to juvie for a bit. And then from juvie, he doesn't really go into it. I'm assuming that he got into some trouble in juvenile detention to be sent to a reform school. But he was sent to the Lyman Reform School, which is a facility that legendary piece of shit, Albert Salvo, actually spent some time in. Uh, anyone not familiar with that name, he was the alleged Boston Strangler, because there's still some some speculation that he may not have actually been the Boston Strangler, but since he was a little we fucked his in his brain that he uh, he took credit for a lot of it, there's the theory that he didn't do any of the killings, but that's okay. We went to his grave. We I did. Think, I think we actually, did we post a picture on that? I did. I did. Um, on the page, right? Yeah, for sure. It was fucking mm -hmm. three months ago at this point, but yeah, I'm sure you can find it out there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, right. So the school housed boys of all ages from nine to 17, because after you hit 18, you're kind of fucking out on your own, whatever. Um, Joe was bullied pretty frequently while he was there, mm -hmm. which considering what this dude looked like when he was full grown is surprising because he is built like a brick shit house. As an adult. He's a brick. Um, but to, I mean, he was, 
he's, he's pretty goofy looking uh, at this point when he's a kid. He's about 135 pounds. He's got a big, thick neck, a huge head, and kind of narrow shoulders. <laughs> so mm-hmm. imagine um, if you've seen Captain America, Chris Evans, when they took his giant fucking melon and slapped it on some scrawny little, like, anorexic kid when he's in basic training. Yeah. About what this guy looks like. <laughs> Except he's got a huge head, big thick neck, and fucking tiny ass little shoulders. Barbosa the Bruiser. Yeah. So to alleviate some of this bullying, he took up <laughs> boxing, like his old man. I'm sorry, but he just okay. I just I had to look up a picture of this guy, dude. He he, looked, he, he looks like if Andrew Dice Clay ate Elvis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess. But he's always looks like the big dummy in, in any gang. He's like, okay, boss. Yeah. All right. Oh, he's the kind of guy where if he was around here, mad. his nickname would be Tiny. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, you made me mad. I beat you Put up. Put the rabbit down, Lenny. <laughs> um, okay, so after a little bit of uh, a little bit of training with one of the older boys that was kind of giving him some pointers into boxing, he learns that he hits like a truck. And at the age of 18, he gets out of reform school and has his first professional boxing match April 18th of 1949 in El Paso, Texas versus Rocky Lucero. Uh, couldn't find results of the match, but his overall record was eight and three, uh, which is, I mean, it's not bad, but it's not great. If you're going to be a professional boxer, mm-hmm. uh, five of those wins came by knockout because again, he hits like a fucking truck. Uh, during his boxing career, he gave himself the nickname, which is never a good thing. Giving yourself a nickname is always a bad idea. Um, But he gave himself the nickname The Baron, which is not nearly as exciting as the nickname that he would earn outside of the ring. Uh Uh, One of his sparring partners, and this will kind of tie everything together a little bit. Uh, His name was Americo Sacramone, and he was an associate of the Patriarcha crime family. (laughs) Americo Sacramone. (laughs) <laughs> this dude was born with a wife beater and chest hair. <laughs> At first, I thought you said Americo Sacrament. I'm like, what? He came out when he came out. He already had like the Italian hands going on. Ah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. He came out of the womb beating his wife. <laughs> Not funny. Okay, maybe. Yeah, no, no. Mafia guys always beat their wives up, especially the Italian ones. But no, no, it, they it, really it, did. Okay. They really did. They beat the shit out of their wives. All right. The Gumar is right. not so much. But do you know what that is? What? A Gumar. I don't know. It's uh, it's basically like uh, Italian mafia for side piece, where it's like just some random uh, chick that they're like, oh, this girl's good. I'm going to fuck her, and I'm going to put her up in an apartment and pay for everything mm. so that I can go fuck her whenever I feel like and give her enough money to keep her mouth shut so she doesn't tell my wife that I'm fucking her and paying for her apartment. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mafia guys are pieces of shit. Spoiler alert. Um, so in 1950, after his boxing career comes to an end, he was put back in prison in Massachusetts at a correctional facility in Concord, which at the time was actually a pretty hardcore prison for the state of Massachusetts. Um, you didn't go here for speeding tickets. You were here for doing some nasty shit, and then you were probably going to have to do some nasty shit while you're in jail, or you were going to get fucked up in more yeah. ways than one. 
So he's sentenced to five years. Couldn't really, I couldn't find the charge as to what it was there for, but I'm assuming probably breaking and entering, potentially assault, whatever. Uh, in 1953, you're going to love this. 1953, he's the ringleader of a prison break involving six other inmates where they got a hold of a bunch of smuggled whiskey and a pile of prescription amphetamine pills. <laughs> so they're all jacked up on Jack and Benny's and they beat the living shit out of four guards, steal two separate cars and start cruising around the areas of Lynn, Revere and uh, Scully Square, which are all in Boston. Um, as they're cruising down the streets, they're, uh, just kind of randomly, like they'd see people walking down the sidewalk and be like, Hey, stop the car. <laughs> they'd stop the car. They'd get out, beat the fuck out of them, not take anything. Just beat the shit out of them. Leave them on the sidewalk, get back in the cars and go. <laughs> they start going, they're going into bars and just fucking picking fights with people, beating the fuck out of everybody. And then they just leave. They're all fucked up on basically meth and whiskey. Um, <laughs> who the fuck's going to fight with a guy? I mean, dude, he's, he's fucking huge. He is. And especially when he's actively in jail, like literally supposed to be in jail at this point in time. (laughs) Um, But after just a, just under 24 hours, the entire crew was captured near a subway in East Boston, a subway tunnel, not a restaurant, Um, which this, this ended the largest prison break in the Concord facilities, 75 year history at that point. So in November of that same year, while awaiting trial for the jailbreak, he's walking through the cafeteria. He's got his lunch, sets the tray down on the table, walks over to a guard and just punches him in the mouth and knocks him out. (laughs) No reason. Just (laughs) Salisbury steak day. I love Salisbury steak. Hey, hold on to this for a second. <laughs> just goes and fucking punches this dude, knocks his ass out. Joe, what'd you do that for? Uh, he he made me angry. Listen, I haven't punched somebody in 45 minutes, and he just so happened to be standing up. So there's, there's, there's probably like... I took, I took the fact that he was vertical as a threat, so I had to neutralize it. So so in somewhere in, in the prison, there was a little, one of those little counter things. Days that Joe has <laughs> yeah. knocked out somebody the, the fuck d- out. Days without an accident. Days, days without a Joe knocking out someone. Two. Scratch that. Somebody, fuck. somebody goes through with a fucking, like, wipe it off with the, the dry erase. Zero. Zero. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> then it gets to the next one. Minus two. Fuck. So three months later, he's in his cell, and a couple of guards come in to, uh, you know, do a cell check, which is a regular thing. Like, you know, you're in prison. You don't have your. Exactly. You know, you don't get the Fourth Amendment right. You're in fucking jail. Yeah. Um, so a couple of guards come in and he throws a fucking end table at one of them. <laughs> Hit him in the chest with it. Um, and I can't imagine that the end tables in jail are going to be. I, I I would feel they're probably fairly sturdy, especially back in the 50s. Well, it was probably so. metal or like heavy wood. And you just fucking like, yeah. just fucking. Uh, I would probably say I would yeets say his nightstand at this fucking car. <laughs> yeah, I would say something like that. Um. So after this whole thing, not necessarily after because of this, but for a little bit, he had been on the radar of some of the organized crime families because they had seen this dude is fucking tough. He doesn't he doesn't mess around and he will beat the Christ out of anybody that gets in his way. Well, of course. Therefore, this guy would be great 
He, he would be a great addition to the team, don't you think? We don't even bring him in for an interview. We'll hire him on the spot. Fuck it. We're going to look at your resume and consider that, you know, as your credentials, obviously. <laughs> You're good at what you do. Fuck it. We're just going to offer you the job right here. Welcome aboard. Oh, that's your rap sheet, huh? All right. Well done, sir. Welcome to the family. So he paroles out in 1958 from uh, from Walpole, where he'd been transferred to. Um, also, Albert DeSalvo had been to this prison, so he's kind of following him a little bit. They weren't obviously weren't at the same time, but you know, same same facility. Yeah. Uh, and while he was there, he kind of you know he rubbed elbows with some guys who knew some guys on the outside. You know what I mean? Yep. When he gets out, he was recruited by uh, he was recruited as a loan shark because, you know, he'll literally beat the shit out of anybody. And now if money's involved, he will definitely beat the shit out of anybody because why not? Mm -hmm. So he spent uh, he spent a lot of a lot of time with his little crew that he built up of uh, guys like Joseph Amico, Patrick Fabiano, James Kearns, Arthur Bratzos. Uh, Thomas de uh, de Priscio, Joseph and Ronald Dermid, uh, Dermody, who are a father and son pair, uh, Carlton Eaton, Eden, uh, Edward Goss, and Nick Famia. So he's got a pretty solid, a pretty diverse crew there between Italians and Irish. Yeah, you know, not bad, I guess. Yeah, you know, uh, and they would congregate at a little kind of hole in the wall bar on the corners of Bennington and Brook streets. Uh, and they were actually there so much that they, the, the bar kind of got nicknamed Barbosa's corner because they would go in and they'd take care of business there. They'd get hammered, get all fucked up. And this is just basically where they hung out. These guys were officially overseen by Stephen Flemmy. And this dude is a motherfucker. Like he, he was intense. <laughs> uh, he earned the nickname of the Rifleman because he was actually a. Uh, the Rifleman. Yeah. He was. A, he was. He was in the infantry in Korea, and okay. there were some stories from some of the shit that he did over there. Oh. Um, definitely on the job training for what he would later be doing. So he's a obviously mega mega violent dude. He's associated with the Winter Hill Gang, that would go on. I've heard of that. Yes, you have. At the time where Joseph Barboza is in the picture for the most part, they're under their original leader. But guy who would go on to become the boss of the Winter Hill Gang probably have heard of him. His name is Whitey Bulger. Ah. Yeah, Whitey. Um, yes. yes so sir. if you've ever seen the movie The Departed, uh, oh. Stephen Flemmy is the ins uh, the inspiration for Mr. French, who was uh, the guy that Ray Winstone played. Okay. Uh, Jack Nicholson's like right hand. He's the ins Steve Flemmy was the inspiration for him. Uh huh. Um, except Steve Flemmy was much more violent, like much more violent. So the connections work kind of in this order here. So you have the Winter Hill Gang, who works for the. Angelino family, who at the time were part of the greater Patriarca family. Um, a lot of people, when they think like Boston Italian mob, it's the Patriarchas. They ran Boston. They ran Providence. 
Uh, they were in parts of Connecticut. They were kind of like that whole like southern New England area. Mm-hmm. If there was pies to be fingered, they were the ones fingering them. You know what I mean? Okay. So Barboza really made his name during a thing that would be known as the McLean McLaughlin War. Um, this part got confusing to type because there's a lot of lot of Irish going on here, and they got a lot of similar names. So the whole thing started how most shit in Boston starts with a drunken fist fight. Wow. <laughs> the two groups were uh, were at Salisbury Beach when everything kind of kicked off. Uh, Georgie McLaughlin and some of his boys from Charlestown hit the beach and the bottle while they were there. And uh, Georgie got handsy with a girlfriend of one of the McLeans. Mm. They beat Georgie nearly to death. Uh, they did do the, the, you know, the Catholic thing and dropped him off at a local hospital, like nearly comatose, but they brought him to the hospital at least. Oh, that's sweet. Um, and a lot of people that were kind of, that were pretty close to Georgie said that he was never the same after the beating. I'm assuming there may have been some, maybe some CTE, maybe some brain damage. There was like five, six guys beat the living shit out of him. Yeah. Like he's probably, you know, probably lucky he made it as far as he did. So Bernie McLaughlin reaches out to Buddy McLean, who he, they didn't know each other, but they knew of each other kind of thing. Um, but he knew, he knew Buddy McLean was, uh, the guy that kind of ran Somerville. And, uh, again, you know, like they, they weren't buddies, but they had a, what's the best way to put it? They had knowledge of each other, you know, like okay. they, you know, they, they kind of, acquaintances not even really they they didn't they'd not really ever really met but they kind of knew oh through the grapevine who the other one was a friend of a friend you know yeah kind of i don't really know him personally like, i don't know him know, personally but i've heard of him but i've heard of him yeah that okay, kind of yep. thing um okay. so he asked buddy if he had heard anybody in the area talking or if he'd heard any rumors as to you know maybe who had beaten his brother up Buddy McLean knows that Bernie is trying to get him to set his boys up to get mm-hmm. killed for what they did to Georgie. So Buddy over the phone basically tells him that he's lucky that <laughs> uh, basically tells him that he was lucky that a beating is all his brother had gotten. And uh, Bernie, obviously not super happy about this whole thing. Uh, and neither was his brother, Ed Punchy McLaughlin. Uh, earned that nickname because he was an ex-pro boxer. So apparently that's the thing to do in Massachusetts in the 50s is fucking fight. Yeah. You know, why not? So not only was he an ex-pro boxer, but he was also somewhat undefeated in the local bar scene where he'd go in and get <laughs> shit-faced and hey. fight everybody. Hey, man. Again, you, you, this is the fucking greater Boston area. You like, have to be undefeated. <laughs> you know. So the McLaughlin boys ran uh, ran Charleston, and uh, Bernie and Ed were the, the, the leaders of the crew, essentially. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to find the guys responsible for the beating, they, decides, they decide all the blame is going on Buddy McLean. You're going to die now. When you're, you, you know, part of your crew, like, almost killed our brother, you're responsible for their actions. We're going to kill you. So McLean narrowly... And when I say narrowly, I mean very, very narrowly avoids being blown up by a car bomb that uh, uh, Ed McLaughlin had planted. He uh, 
he said he actually was walking out to his car as he sees somebody run out from underneath it, not underneath it, but kind of like behind it and uh, opened the driver's door and decided, you know, thought, thought better of it mm-hmm. and uh, went and crawled underneath the car and looks up and he sees a fucking pack of TNT slapped under the bottom of his car, <laughs> rigged to the gas tank. So very, very narrowly, like he opened the door and was getting ready to get in the car. It's like, maybe I should check that out first. You know? Ooh. Yeah. Nothing like the New York guys where they would just run up and fucking literally throw a grenade through somebody's window and be like, fuck you and take off. No, these guys were like sneaky, like IRA style. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. So with tension between the crews getting higher and higher, there was a bunch of other local guys that were kind of forced to take sides as to who they were going to back in this whole thing. And uh, luckily for Buddy McLean, when it was his turn to pick his next player, he got Joseph Barboza. Mm. So he was like, he definitely was like saving that pick. He's like, uh, Mm -hmm. second round. Okay. Yeah. With the second round pick, (laughs) the McLean family (laughs) has chosen Joseph, the animal Barboza. And he comes up and he's like chewing on a toothpick and, Smelling like pepperoni, I'm assuming, just by looking at him. Man, we didn't see this one coming. This one was a, this was a what a steal. This was a steal. <laughs> Who did they trade? What what round draft have, pick they, did they, they trade off for this I, one? Wait, I think there's coming in. I think they traded up. Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is going to be a huge blow to the, the Genovese family. I know they've had their eyes on him since he was in college, Tom. <laughs> they, they have. <laughs> Halloween 1961, Buddy McLean catches Bernie McLaughlin coming out of the Morning Glory Cafe in Charleston. Um, One of Bernie's like regular places that he would kind of hang out a lot, most likely a front. He was probably doing some business in the back there. Um, And as he's walking out the front door, Buddy McLean fucking opens up, shoots him five, six times, kills him right there on the sidewalk. Bam, dead. Bernie's gone. So the violence would continue throughout the 60s up until August 4th, 1964. Uh, Barboza and McLean are kind of cruising around and they come across Harold Hannon and Willie Delaney. Hannon was a McLaughlin associate and Delaney was in the wrong place at the wrong time. They pull up next to him, start talking to him. Joe gets out of the car and pulls a gun, forces both of them back the car. They would take them to an abandoned warehouse. Uh, It's hard to say who did what, but at the end of the day, there was an interaction between, uh, oh boy, there's an interaction between Harold Hannon's testicles and a blowtorch. Um, Very, very high functioning blowtorch, I might add. Yeah, uh, he ended up dying. Believe it or not, uh, Delaney oh, makes me sick. Yeah, it makes my stomach, dude. My balls literally crawled up into my stomach when I read this the first time. I was like, <gasps> like I've burned myself before, never on the balls, but uh, I can't imagine having your nuts melted <laughs> with a fucking blowtorch. Oh my gosh, my my nuts are hurting. You imagine just sitting in there, probably sitting in a metal chair, tied to it with no pants on, and all of a sudden you hear this like. 
and some fucking giant Portuguese dude is coming at you with a fucking oxyacetylene torch and he just sets your balls on fire. Let that sink in for a second. Oh, man, man, oh, man. Yeah, buddy. Um, Delaney got off a little bit easier. They forced a fistful of sleeping pills and half a bottle of whiskey down his throat. Then as he starts to fade off into dreamland, uh, Joe kicks his chair over and strangles him to death. <laughs> so, I mean, kind of a waste of whiskey, in my opinion. If you're going to strangle him, you could have just fucking strangled him, you goddamn giant. I mean, Wasting perfectly good alcohol. He was doing him a favor, okay? Yeah. Sure was. You know, make him go to sleep before you actually put him to sleep forever. Yeah. <laughs> take these, they'll help. What are they? Don't worry about it. Just Don't, take them and shut up. Just just take it. October 20th of 1965, Barboza Wax Punchy. Then just 11 days later on Halloween, Steve Hughes kills Buddy McLean. Uh, Steve and Connie Hughes were considered the most dangerous members of the McLaughlin crew. And with the murder of Buddy McLean, it kind of, you know, uh, momentum is shifting uh-huh. in favor of the McLaughlin clan here. They're kind of on the verge of taking all of them out. And if they do that, they're probably moving into Somerville and taking over all of their, all of their rackets and shit as well. Yeah. They seem to forget that Joseph Barboza existed. <laughs> the number two draft pick. Yeah. In and 19- this motherfucker is coming out like Tom Brady. Like, he, they got him late in the game, and he's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to run out of fingers before I run out of motherfuckers to kill. <laughs> he's just racking up the, racking up the you know, he's, the kills. And he's... With what he's about to do, he definitely made his first Pro Bowl, for oh. sure. Um, very nice. Very nice. Yeah, you know, it takes a lot to make your first, uh, you know, Hitman Pro Bowl. But yeah. I mean, so at this point in time, Barboza is—he's the fucking man. So May 29th, nineteen sixty-six, he catches Connie Hughes and Sam Linda, uh, Lindenbaum. Uh, doesn't say where he found him. Killed both of them. Fucking dead in a car somewhere. Uh, four months later, September twenty-third, Barboza gets his hands on Steve Hughes completing his collection of dead McLaughlins. Over the course of 1964 and 1966, he killed six men that we know of. And this is where he earns the nickname The Animal. And there's actually a couple of different stories as to how he earned the nickname. But we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll get into those. Okay. Okay, we are back. So remember I was telling you about nickname the, the nickname that he earned, The Animal? So... <laughs> There's a couple of stories, and honestly, the first one, you know, they're both equally fucking crazy. Do you want the long one first or the short one first? Heads. Uh, so that's the short one, right? Yeah. So uh, during one of his kills, he shot a man in the head, and uh, they had another guy tied up in a chair there. So just for fun, he picked up a piece of the guy's skull and starts chewing on it, just because it's there, you know. Maybe a little intimidation, maybe a little cannibalism. Who the fuck knows? Guy's nuts. Okay. So the one that I find more believable is uh, gets into an altercation in a in a bar in Revere. Uh, there's a lot of connected guys there. Um, older guy, 
that had been around for a bit. You know, one of these guys where he probably never made it real high up in the family, but he mm-hmm. was still respected because he is an old man in a young man's game kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So he kind of goes up to Joe and he's like, hey, you're being loud. You're causing the scene. Knock it off. Stop. So Joe slaps him in the face. Ooh. Uh, Henry Tamilio, who was a patriarcha underboss, so very high up. Ooh. Kind of grabs Joe by the elbow and he's like, hey. And this isn't a direct quote. I don't want you to slap that man. I don't want you to ever touch anyone with your hands again. So Joe's like, all right. Sitting there drinking his beer. Getting a little pissed off, kind of stewing on everything. Got his dick slapped by the boss. Doesn't like that. So he thinks, you know what? Fuck it. Stands up, walks over to the guy that he had just slapped, and bit his fucking ear off. He then looked at Henry with blood all over his face like some kind of goddamn ghoul and goes, I didn't use my hands. Dude is fucking crazy. (laughs) He had to have got himself into some shit with the family over that. I mean, at that point in time, you're just like... But he didn't use his hands. I mean, I know I can be still, pissy, but still, you, you know, you just hit an old man and, and then you bit his goddamn ear off like yeah. a Vander Holyfield. <laughs> yeah, you just, you, you know, it's there's a line. Well, obviously, that wasn't enough to cross it. Ugh. So January 1966 or 1967, it's kind of a little fuzzy. Uh, he gets into a scuffle with a Boston Metropolitan cop. Uh, punched him in the face, knocked him out, and broke a bunch of his teeth. He was sentenced to six months in prison. So when he got out of prison, I cannot make this up, starts attending culinary school. So what? Yeah. A lot of the guys in his crew would actually talk that, you know, he was a good cook, uh, did a lot of, like, classic Portuguese stuff, you know, cooking with the fucking charisse and, you know, linguiça and all that shit. A lot of Portuguese, a lot of Italian. Apparently a very good cook. Um, if for as much of a violent psychopath as he was, he wasn't all bad. <laughs> he liked, he loved dogs. He loved his kids and his multiple wives and all the women that he was ever connected to when they were interviewed. They're like, you know, yeah, he was a very tough guy. And that was kind of what, you know, part of the attraction, you know, he's a big fucking bruiser and he's got all this money. Never laid hands on him. Which is rare for the 60s being a gangster to, you know, not put hands on your woman. Well, I, but it's, uh, not, it's not, I mean. It, he liked kids, he liked dogs. Not all bad. Not all bad. I mean, it's just being a good man. You know, <sighs> he saw what his father was like. It's kind of like, eh, fuck him. I ain't going to be like him. Yeah. So Joe is very, very open with his gangsterisms. Uh, Gangsterism. Yeah. He's wearing flashy clothes, all kinds of jewelry. He's driving around in a 1965 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, Ooh. which is a fucking smoke show of a car, by the way. Oh, damn. He's got this thing rigged up to spew black smoke at the touch of a button that he's got rigged up under the floor. Because uh, almost the same era where you still had your direction light on the floor, like the button for it to turn your, your yeah. blinkers. Yeah, your blinkers. High so low beam. he's got a trigger hooked up in this car he hits it and it just spews fucking dark black smoke out behind it um (laughs) can't make this up the local and state police anybody that had interaction with him that happened to be a cop 
would uh, start referring to this as, quote, the James Bond car. The only thing it was missing was the rotary plates, which would have been really fucking cool. Just be like, <laughs> boop, boop. Yeah. I'm from Rhode Island now. Fuck you. <laughs> so Barboza is still active in the gang war in the greater Boston area. Uh, sometimes he would get bored, though. And when that happened, he would offer his services to uh, yeah, the highest bidder. You know, we'll go kill people. We'll mm-hmm. beat the shit out of somebody. You, you need something unsavory done. I'm your guy. Okay. Uh, at one point in time, Raymond Patriarca, who is the head of the Patriarca crime family, is paying Joe anywhere between $900 and $1,000 a month to keep him on retainer just in case he needs somebody killed. So the Patriarchas are the main source of employment for Joe and his guys. So they would do stuff for all these other groups, like these other families, all these other crews. They would do stuff for them but never to the patriarchs. First of all, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. Well, of course, yeah. Second of all, don't piss off the largest crime family in New England because they will kill you. Yeah. Even if they don't do it themselves, they will find somebody to kill you. True. There's, there's plenty of violent psychopaths in the mafia. They'll find somebody to do it. Where there's a... Uh... Well, there's a will. There's someone who will be paid to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So Raymond used him mostly based on his reputation on the streets as someone that most people that were in their right minds wouldn't cross. I mean, they could have just, you know, been like, you know, gone down to their sister group down in New York and been like, hey, can we borrow your boy? I'm sure they absolutely could have done that. Like, I, I... I don't know if they were connected to any of the families in New York, but I'm sure that there would have been a mutual respect between them to be like, hey, I need to borrow a hitter if you got one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they didn't always get along with them. We're not going to step on your dick. You don't step on ours. But I need to borrow somebody to get something done internally that we can't handle in house. Well, and we don't want it connected. Right. Just in case it goes wrong. Right. We wanted so, to think that someone, you know, outside of the family, you know, had a be- had a beef. This would have been the time where you'd go, hey, like if you wanted this guy dead, you'd go get a hold of one of the families in New York and go, hey, uh, y'all still got that giant Pollock that's yeah. killing people and putting them in an ice cream truck? Yeah. Can we use him for like thirty seconds? Sweet, thanks. <laughs> And uh, that would have been the end of Joseph Barboza, and they would have found him eight months later in different clothes on the side of the road, dead, thawing out. But they didn't. But, you know, oh, man, that would have been a fucking war, though. Like, if he knew that Kuklinski was coming after him, shit, they could make a movie about that. I don't think they – see, I don't think he would know. No. But word gets out. They're like, hey, they're sending, you know – they're sending somebody down here from New York, sending down some fucking killer after you. Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Dude, that'd be a great fucking movie. I don't know what I want to do. But I'm going to uh, pick him up and I'm uh, going to hug him until he doesn't breathe anymore. <laughs> he's actually a pretty smart dude, though. Actually, like, he's like, as, I'm going to fucking break his face. As much as we're picking <laughs> on him because he looks like a fucking oaf. He was actually a pretty yeah. smart dude. I'm going to cook him some linguine. Yeah. I'm going to cook him some pasta. Yeah. I'm going to cook him all the good stuff. He wants a pastry, I'll take it. <laughs> Are the Portuguese known for their pastries? I don't fucking I don't know. know. Their food's good, though. I know that much. So after a while of 
doing a lot of work for the family. Joe starts to get a big head, and he's starting to think. Big head? He's never got a big head. Well, ego-wise. <laughs> oh, oh, Ego-wise. Okay. He's starting to get it into his head that the Patriarcha family wouldn't be at the top of the food chain in the area if he weren't part of the group. Uh, if he were to leave, they wouldn't be anything. So what he's trying to do is basically do a little bit of bribery to put himself into a position. Not really. Um, he's uh, positioning himself for a well for a change of um, title. Not really, because he can't be made. Well, because he's not he, Italian. He, so he can't be a made man. He can't go up any higher than where he's going to be. Like... He may be able to get up to like a, like a capo or something like that, but they're never gonna. He's never gonna be a made man. But he's capo, never gonna be part of the family, so to speak. Because but capo is higher than you know. Right now, he's just a fucking soldier on the streets. Yeah, but that's 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 higher than that. Right, that's higher than a no. Hit like man. he he could potentially get a you know get bumped up in the family, but he's never gonna be a made man. No, he's always gonna be an outsider. Of course, because you'd have to be you know uh, you'd have to be Italian to be a made man. Right. Or but, more I mean, specifically with some of them, you have to be Sicilian. True. There's Sicilian Mafia. There was, you know, or they would refer to them as the Costa Nostra. Right. But, I mean, there was Sicilian. There was, you know, this and there was that. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah the Neapolitans. You got all that. Yeah. yeah, it all depends where you're, you know, where they were from. Right. The Sicilian were the more um, scared. The more they were more business-minded. Yeah. They, they were more going to burn your shit down than kill you nine times out of ten. Yeah, I mean, you know. But you can't get money out of a dead guy. Of course not. You know, they'd fuck your life up, but they were not as likely to kill you. I don't know what right uh, Al Capone. He's Sicilian. Was he Sicilian? Yeah. I mean, well, he was American, but he was. he was Still Sicilian. But descent. Yeah. Wise, right? <laughs> I don't think he was. Uh... He wasn't from, like, off-the-boat Sicilian, but he was Sicilian. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point in time, Joe starts doing his own loan sharking instead of just collecting debts for the family. Mm-hmm. And he never had anybody refuse to pay him if they had the money. Mm. Uh, if they didn't have the money, on the other hand, that was a different story. If you borrowed money from this dude and you couldn't pay him back, you'd be lucky if he didn't just throw you the beating of a lifetime Instead of kill you, like shoot you, stab you, beat you, strangle you, you would have been lucky if he just beat the shit out of you instead. You know, I'm sorry, I had to, to jump forward a little bit. I'm just kind of sitting here thinking about this since we live in Vermont and we have such like in Rutland where we live, where we live <laughs> having such a um a large community at one time of Italians. Yeah, I wonder how much, how many times the the New York families and the Boston families, you know, there had to have been some kind of knowledge of you. There had to have been some knowledge of you because, you know, hey, well, you know, you fuck on me, I'm going to get my, uh, my, you know, this side or I'm going to get, I mean, because we had Genovese. We yeah. Had, but, we also, <laughs> but we also had some others that, you know, weren't Genovese. Let's... We had... You know, this one, we have this one. Let's put it this way. Um, I've heard stories from a guy who is related into one of those families that you may or may not have just mentioned that told me very specifically there is a reason that the Vermont State Police uh, 
uh, crime scene like investigation, like the dive team doesn't go into the uh, quarries in West Rutland anymore because they got tired of finding bodies in there. They got tired of finding cars in there with New York plates and registrations. So he knew he he knew a thing or two because he knew a guy or two. Yeah, well, I mean, but, you know, still, I mean, we have, you know, we probably have some Boston Italians well, I, up here. Well, I, I do know that some of the bigger, not bigger names, but like the more, yeah, bigger names, I guess, like Italian families in Rutland, like the ones you hear more frequently, have definitely have some connections to at least New York. Oh, well, I mean, uh, I know quite a few of them that yeah. have connections to There's New one York. up here that starts with a G that owns a bunch of shit that yeah. has a lot of connections to the families. One of the families in New York, and I can't remember which one it is. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely still some connections up this way. It's because we're in the middle of fucking nowhere, and this is the perfect place to get rid of bodies. It is, but I, like I said, you know, I wonder <laughs> you know? if, if uh, like I said, if some of them actually have the connections to Boston area, you know. I don't I, know. You know, probably. It's, it's just kind of, you know, like I said, it had to have been, the, you know, because we were just talking about, you know, connections between the two. Yeah. It got me thinking about here. Right. You know, I hate to get off on a tangent. No, you're not, of, though. You're it's kind of, you know. You're not on a tangent because we're still, on, like, if you were talking about fucking giraffes, that's a tangent. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just kind of, you know, kind of makes you think, hey. You but you gotta you gotta think, well, think about it like this though. You have Massachusetts, right? Which is only three hours away. Right. I mean Boston is. Right. And New York City's four. Right. But Massachusetts is also a very big state, and the western half of it is a lot of woods and mountains. And then you also have Connecticut, which has got a lot of yeah woods and mountains in it and shit too. Yeah. They can get rid of people closer. New York, they're like fucking. We can't dump them upstate because they're gonna find them there, and that still looks bad because yeah. You know, we'll take them over here to this place that didn't fucking, it barely fucking exists other than for skiing. Dump them there. Fuck it. Yep. Um, I mean, hell, I've, I've heard of stories lately, you know, like within the past 10 years of uh, the families still having connections here where, they, you know, yeah. they've had a, a certain person be harassed by a certain group of people. And uh, those gentlemen had a visit. Yeah. Fr- and we're told, you ever do that again, you're never going to come back. You're never going to wake up. There, there's a deli <laughs> that I really like that uh, the guy, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but the uh, the original owner definitely knew some guys. And when... Oh, no, they're, they're, they're gone. Yeah. Well, he's... He, I have heard stories about that of that guy having issues with people fucking with the store, and then they just go missing. Well, so like where they were, yeah. But I'll tell you what, their fucking lunch specials, dynamite. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, well, look at uh, old man Gus who just passed away. Not Italian, but the motherfucker had connections. He most certainly is Italian. No, he's actually Irish. Yeah, he wasn't Italian. I didn't. I. I it was. Uh, it was. I guess whatever his last name. I can't remember what his last name was. But yeah, he wasn't Italian. I thought he was. 
I could have swore they were. No, he wasn't. He was. He was. Uh, well, Irish he was part something. of the fucking Rutland Mafia. He but was one he of the. Was. He, they'd have their fucking. They had their lunch at the Rutland Diner every Sunday. Because he, he went to an Italian diner. Yep. Him, yeah. him, and all the other fucking old old timers. Oh, they they had their fucking. And they'd meeting. sit in the back corner, nowhere near the glass. They like had, they, they knew. <laughs> they knew what they're fucking up to. They had their meeting. Yeah. You know, it's uh. You gotta, you gotta have a meeting sometime. And his son was the mayor, and then his grandson killed somebody, and then shot at the police department, and then got killed in the Walmart parking lot. Things happen. Yeah. Well, he was also a fucking psychopath, but that's okay. Um. Anyway, so anyway, back to back to yeah. The- <laughs> so Joe didn't he didn't take shit from anybody when it came to his money. Um. And here's a direct quote from him as to what he would tell basically every single person the first time they came to him asking for money quote when we made a deal i told every person do not take this money if you can't pay it back every week because it could lead you into trouble okay like i said that was a direct quote and uh he never didn't get paid (laughs) well i Uh, mean he, he I, I gotta say, the guy was straightforward. Right. He was like, listen, I don't want to have to kill you, maybe, but I definitely maybe will kill you. For sure. But he, <laughs> I'm gonna keep it vague. But hey. He liked his money, and you fucked with his, you know, his, his shit. Well, guess what? But I mean, that's that's not out of the ordinary for a mafia guy to be like, hey, if you don't pay me back, I'm gonna fucking kill you. Pretty boilerplate shit for borrowing money from the mob. Um, True. so he got hit, he got the money from his Italian overlords at a fairly low rate. <laughs> That's what they are. Um, sorry. so the way it worked is like, so you say you wanted, you needed to get a hundred dollars from them. Yeah. You'd pay them $50 and they'd give you the hundred dollars. Yeah. But whatever you made out of that, they were going to get a percentage of it. So he well, got, yeah. he got the money from them at a low rate. And then he would add his own money into it. So he had more money to offer. So he's making money hand over fist just on the interest alone. Um, There was some times where he was making thousands upward up to almost $10,000 a week just in interest being paid back to him on these uh, these loans. No shit. He was making fucking bank. Um, So right. never, never caught wind of this. Who? The uh, the Italians? The Italians. They didn't give a fuck. They, they were getting their money. They were getting more money than they were giving him. Okay. So they're like, all right, cool. Fucking do your thing. So right about here, time-wise, the biggest name in Boston organized crime, well, he would become the biggest name in Boston organized crime, is still an underneath guy who hadn't made his move to power yet. Um, so, again, Whitey Bulger. Um, even though Joe never worked with Whitey directly, they did kind of become acquaintances through Steve Fleming. And dude, I had to throw this one in here. Got to talk about Steve's brother, Vincent Fleming, whose nickname. His name's Vincent. His nickname, his nickname is Jimmy the bear. Not sure where we're getting Jimmy out of Vincent. I can understand Vinny. But I don't. Uh, these these fucking mafia guys are amazing with their nicknames. 
What was the one I sent you? It was uh, one of the Patriarcha Underboss guys. Oh, Jesus Fucking, Christ. Uh, you sent me so many. Steve the Ponytail or some shit like that. Yeah, Steve. <laughs> fucking yes. ridiculous shit. Steve the Ponytail. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, fucking Shaky Pete or some st- uh, something like that. Uh, What was it? Uh, okay, so yeah, we had uh, the Cheese Man. <laughs> Carmen the Cheese Man. Anozio. I believe that's Carmine. Or, well, you said it says Carmen, not Carmine. Carmen's a girl's name. <laughs> uh, it could be Carmine. Uh, Robert Bobby the Cigar DeLuca. So, yeah, he definitely was like, he came to the plate before Babe Ruth, for sure. Yeah, well, Ma- uh, then there was Matthew, Matthew good-looking Maddie. So he uh, w- he was either like a male model or he looked like a fucking toad with a I, I, <laughs> with I'm a mustache. I'm saying he was a toad, but never looked in the mirror and yeah. thought he was the sexiest. Give me I'm fucking handsome, <laughs> slicking back his no fucking hair. <laughs> don't touch the hair! Don't touch the hair, ma! Check out this fucking mustache that don't even connect all the way across, huh? And ladies love it. <laughs> Joseph Joe the Bishop. <laughs> love these names. He was a cardinal. He was. Shaky, uh, Rocco Shaky Argenti. Steadiest hands in the world. Yes. <laughs> and these are all from the same goddamn crime family. Well, why do you call him Shaky? Well, his hands are so steady. Fucking rock steady. <laughs> well, watch it. <laughs> he puts the one hand up. Fucking like Blazing Saddle. Steady as a rock. Yeah, but I shoot with this hand. <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, back to Jimmy the Bear. Um. I, I have no answers for this nickname, uh, but Jimmy the Bear and Joe would become very, very good friends very, very quickly. Yep. Um, I'm assuming they shared some of the same mental health disorders, and Jimmy was also the only guy in the city that show, that that Joe had a little bit of fear of, but I don't know if it was technically that he was afraid of him, more he just kind of respected how dangerous he was or how he could be. Um, because if you, it's one, it's one of those things where, so he's one of these guys where if you don't respect how potentially violent he can be, there's a very good chance you're going to end up in a series of trash bags scattered throughout the fence. Mm-hmm. So part of the risk of becoming one of the most dangerous paid murderers in the city was that people from time to time will try to kill you. And, yeah. uh. Uh, there was a couple of people that <clears throat> that put it all on the line trying to take Joe out for some street cred. He said himself that he couldn't remember how many people tried to kill him, but there was only one time that the cops ever got involved. Um, he was outside of his house in Chelsea, and someone driving by just kind of takes a pot shot at him. Neighbors heard the gunshot, call the cops. They get there to talk to Joe, and of course, you know, he didn't know anything. It's probably just some guy driving around in a shitty old car, and it backfired. And I'm assuming, like, while he's talking to the cops, he's, like, leaning up against his house, like, hand over the bullet hole, be like, no, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. Nobody's fucking shooting nothing around here. <laughs> you see me? How would they miss? I'm huge. Um, so one night he walked into a club that was paying protection to a uh, to the crew under Gennaro Angel- uh, Angelino. Uh, the Angelino brothers were another subset of the Patriarca family, but since Joe didn't work for them... And he just so happened to be in the neighborhood. He decides that the owner of the club is going to start paying him protection money too. So this kind of starts some shit 
and it gets to the higher ups and they're not happy about it because this is not the first time he's done this. Oh yeah. Oh, um, he's done this to other people and his ego is getting a little out of check. Yep. So 1966 comes around and they decide someone's got to put Joe back in his place. Barboza is arrested on weapons charges and held on a hundred thousand dollars bail. Today, the equivalent of that is about eight hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So that's a lot of fucking money. Yeah. So he was put on this much bail because they knew who he was. They had a very good idea of what he was doing, even though they couldn't prove it, and they knew what he had done every time he'd been in prison. Yeah. So he is in jail <clears throat> at this he held, point. He holds the record for most uh, most guards guards knocked yeah. the fuck out. He's got a fucking <laughs> necklace made out of guards' teeth. <laughs> he holds records in two prisons. He's uh, undefeated. <laughs> so obviously, you get thrown in jail. You get your phone call. Yeah. His first phone call, first and only phone call, technically, is to uh, Raymond Patriarca. Yep. And uh, we're gonna come back next week and find out how that phone call went. Ooh. I'm gonna leave you fuckers hanging. <laughs> hanging so. by the thread. I was like, this is gonna be a long episode anyway, so we're gonna cliffhanger. <clears throat> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a cliffhanger. Also, I have a living room to finish, so yeah. Anyway, huh? So that's uh that's the first half of uh, Joseph Barboza. Um, technically, the first hitman we've talked about on the show, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Because I mean, Mickey Featherstone wasn't a hitman. He no. was he was connected. He was no, you know. The underboss, yeah. technically, of the Westies, but yeah, <clears throat> I but, mean, it's not, uh, yeah, not not the first hitman. No, he is the first. This guy is the first hitman. Won't be the fucking last, I promise. Oh, probably but, not. Um, anyway, so with that being said, Kevin, yes, Kevin. knife hands, knife hands. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want a pair of headphones or earbuds or Bluetooth speaker? Head yourself over to studio.com. They're Oops. not Italians. So no. they, they won't break your legs and give you some med shoes. No, they won't. <clears throat> They'll give you some of them sweet, sweet Swedish headphones. Yes, they will. <laughs> Those sweet sweets. And uh, find what you want. Put them in your basket. Go to checkout. Go to coupon. Put the promo code of DarkerWindows15 in to get 15% off your entire purchase. And as of right now, uh, if you are looking for noise canceling, they have uh, two sets of earbuds. One they just came out with, which is the Neo, I believe. Yeah. And then there's the um, uh, uh, Et. Ets, which I own, um, which I I absolutely love. Um, I have had I've had those for since what before Christmas, I yeah. believe, and like those a lot. We also we both have the Klar, and which are the. Uh, over-the-ear noise cans. And let me tell you something here real quick about this company. Their customer service is off the charts. Like, I just got my new pair of Klar's in because my other one's ripped. Uh, Like, the ear cup, the kind of, like, leathery stuff, ripped. And uh, I got in contact. I was like, hey, I've had these for five months, and they ripped. What can I do? And they're like, well, we'll send you a new pair. Yeah. Do you need me to send it back? No. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and you know the. the and I had think, to repl- I'd replace my twelve, and it's not because they're poorly made. It's because they are not golden retriever proof. 
Well, that bitch chewed my earbuds up. That's the second pair of yeah. them because she got a pair of my uh, my Nevas also. Oh boy. <clears throat> yeah, we well, had a conversation about that. But all of their stuff is great, I, and I highly we highly recommend them. Um, you know, so find what you want. Get get the discount of a fifteen percent off your entire purchase with uh, Dark Windows fifteen uh, discount code. And also, darkwindowspod.com. You can go over there and you can listen to every episode of this crap that we've ever done on, well, <clears throat> you can't listen to it there, but you can find the link to our Age of Radio page yeah, where, where you, you can listen to listen. all of our bullshit. Then you can listen to everybody else's bullshit. Uh-huh. Like, there's other shows on there on the network that are actually good. Yeah. Like, we're okay, but... There's some others that are better. There, there's, there's others that are much better. I mean, I, I think. I mean, honestly, I'd say we're probably top five. Because that's, well, that, that's, <laughs> technically, that's what the website says, is yes, we're in the top, we five. top five. So, I mean, we're okay, I guess. I mean. But we're amongst good company. We are. <laughs> but you can check out some of the other shows over there. If you want true crime, we got plenty of that. If you want some uh, some history, some unexplained stuff, we got that too. Mm-hmm. We got sports. We got everything. We got nerdy shit. We got comic books. We got movies. We got it all. So go over to Age of Radio and check that out. You can also find links to all of our social medias, uh, including our Facebook and Instagram, which I am back on Facebook. I don't know what I got banned for. They never told me. But uh, I get kicked off Facebook for about a week, which was pretty stupid. They didn't like your face. Uh, apparently, because that's the only thing that it could have been. It has to be. Because I didn't post anything god-awful. I mean, I posted a picture of some of the National Guard guys that were deployed to Washington, D.C. after the, the riot. And one of them had the – I'm assuming it's for transport where they have the uh, – their optic stuck on the bottom. I, I was I was told that that's for storing them in like the lockers and stuff, so they actually Probably. rest flat. I don't know. Um, and I made a dumb comment. I'm like, oh, somebody got a micro grenade launcher. Check that out. And they're like, no, that's not what it is. And I'm like, no, I know. I was just joking. And that's the only thing I could. Jesus, only thing I could think it was for, because I said grenade launcher on Facebook. Ah, yeah. Fucking turds. Yeah, like grenade launchers. Mark Zuckerberg's a goddamn robot anyway. So. But you can also, on there, you can find our Facebook page. You oh, can yeah. Find our the, Twitter. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Twitter that doesn't exist. Yes, if it, you go to our Twitter account, it has cobwebs on it. Yes, <laughs> it's dusty. We have to dust it off every once in a while. And also our Instagram. Uh, and also, I think it has a link to our fa- our email. Maybe. Which is... Darkwindowspod at gmail.com. Yeah. Send so us stories be, and stuff. Yeah. If you don't, if you want to, you know, send us stories or, you know, or just bitch at us because, you know, we said something stupid and you don't want to put it on the Facebook page. We put, we say a lot of stupid shit, though. We do. <clears throat> um, at least I, I mean, I tend to, I guess. But, or you just want to bitch at us because, you know, you don't like us or something. Yeah, we're pieces of shit. We know it. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, you can do that, too. But, you know. Just don't think that we're not going to roast you. Oh but, yeah, if you leave us if you leave us a one star review, I am gonna fucking burn you down on the internet. <laughs> I mean, all except for that one, you know, that one one star review, which was the best. Yeah, you know, tried it once, won't again. That was three stars technically. Oh, it was. Yeah. Oh, well, shit. Yeah. Fuck. All right. So that was the best three star. Yeah. You know, shit review. <laughs> I will find you and digitally burn your house down. <laughs> 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 no, I won't. Maybe I will, though. <laughs> no, we won't. Anyway, that's about it for this week. Yes. Um, so with that being said, we will be back next week to finish off this turn. Yes, j- and because if you... No, that's not it, is it? What? I don't know. 
What are you well, doing over there? I can't see you. I, I tipped back in my chair, and I can't see what you're doing now, and I kind of like it. It's like being up here by myself. I should just take my pants off. Oh, you're sick. Just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean that the dark can't see into you. <gasps> or can it? No, we can't. Fuck off. Okay, 